Let's just pray together. Oh Lord our God, as we open your word, as we come again to this letter written so long ago and yet still living because it contains truth. May you speak the truth directly to us, directly to our hearts. And Lord, as has already been said this morning, your word does not come back to you empty. It reaches our hearts. It cuts where it needs to cut. It heals where it needs to heal. Do the work in us, we pray. Amen. Your key word for today is the word pericope. It's like periscope without the S. And pericope means one thought or one idea. And in your Bibles, the passage we're going to be reading this morning is one idea. It's actually one sentence in the original language. We've got a few full stops and commas, but it's actually one sentence as well. And so we're going to be dealing with it in one sermon today. That's why we've kind of got one less song or so, so that we've got a bit more time. Alright, so you're getting the hint. But I need you to really concentrate. I cannot break this in half because the thought is from Scripture. And we must be guided by Scripture and not by length of time in human services. And so I will endeavour to not beat around the bush too much, but to get to what God has to say to us today. So here's your pericope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 to 21. 1 Peter 1, verse 17 to 21. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with a precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So what's the Apostle Peter saying to us today? Well, I think he's addressing a problem that we've already got today. And one of those is familiarity with God. Familiarity with God is very much a major scourge in today's society. You hear terms bandied around like the, the old man upstairs, the big guy. This week I heard this one. What does the big G want from me? There's even a website devoted to this, www.godisimaginary.com. It's a rude awakening waiting for some web designer. 
TV adverts, if you look at TV adverts, you hear, you hear the term OMG brought up so often today. There's even a, a, a film, and I know it was done in jest, but get what's behind this, Bruce Almighty, and even the film OMG, just using what God does, terms for God loosely, playing God in a movie. And yes, it's even crept into our churches today. There's a bit of a carelessness, even a flippancy as we come before the Lord. I don't know about you today, but how did you come in preparation to coming together before the Lord here as a body of believers? Did you just kind of rush through things and then get here? Or did you think about what you were coming here to do? Coming together to worship the Lord God Almighty with other believers. And there's even maybe a familiarity in the way we approach God in prayer. That last minute before I fall asleep, I try and say one prayer before I kind of just succumb to sleep. It's a bit of an over-familiarity with God. And even in the way we come to Him, do we know who God is? Have we remembered who He is? And I think there's a major problem here today. And the problem is that we've got too big a view of ourselves. And it's so easy. And the Apostle Peter, in this pericope, in this one idea, wants to bring us back to the God idea, the main idea of our salvation. And he's calling us back to holy living in a God-fearing way. And he reminds us of why we need to live in that way. What has God done for us so that we can live as believers in a God-fearing way before Him? He gives us a command. Firstly, we're going to look at that command in verse 17. And then he gives us a reminder of why that command is there in verses 18 to 21. So that's the general frame of what we'll be looking at this morning. So let's go to this command that the Apostle's given us in verse 17. A command to live in awe of God. He says, and if you call on Him as Father. If you call on Him as Father. You see, the the Apostle Peter is addressing believers here. He's not speaking to unbelievers here. He's speaking to believers. And he's saying, get some perspective on yourself. There's a child-father relationship happening over here. This God that you're coming to is not a distant, unreachable God, but a loving Father. And He's speaking to you, an obedient child. There's a relationship here. Notice the if that He uses. He says, and if you call on Him as Father. In the original language, the, the, the meaning here is, and when you call on Him. You see, there's a dependency spoken of here. We can't just live lives every day which are on my own. I can just go through life on my own. I don't need God as a believer. No, we are in dependency on God. We are not addressing one equal to another. We are addressing as one who is helpless to one who is almighty. He's our Abba, Father. He's our our Father. And right here at the beginning of the text, I want to pose some questions to you. If you're a believer sitting here this morning, are you going it alone in your Christian life? Have you forgotten where your faith comes from? 
You know, you don't have to suffer in silence. You don't have to just suck it up in life. To use a good term that you hear bandied around. You have a Father who loves you. That's the framework around what we're saying today. You have a Father who loves you. And you need to call on Him. Don't go through life as an independent unit. Be dependent on Him. But our text doesn't stop there, verse 17. It says, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. You see, this Father that we have has another role to play. He's not just our Father, but Peter's here reminding us our Father is also a judge. He is the judge who judges impartially. Why is he also a judge? Well, we know from last week, verse 16, the last time we looked at this text, he said, you shall be holy for I am holy. You see, God is a holy God who cannot take sin before him. That's his standard set for us. And so, being our father, he is also our judge. He calls us to account to his rules, his set of family values that he calls us to. He calls us to pure living before Him. Now here's a fact. And whether you're a believer here today or an unbeliever here today, we are all going to appear before Him one day. That is a fact. Believers and unbelievers, there is going to come a day when we will all appear before our God. 1 Peter 4 verse 5 says it this way, speaking about unbelievers firstly, and I'm going to speak to unbelievers now. 1 Peter 4, 5 says this, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But you know, here's the problem with unbelievers. When you appear before him, and that's going to happen, you will have no one to defend you. You will be silent before Almighty God. You see, because there's no loving relationship between you and this God that we're talking about. You are independent of Him. But you are not independent. You've got another Father. And I'm saying it straight to you today. You have another Father. Your Father is Satan. There's only God the Father and Satan as fathers. And you know, Satan himself is already going to be in trouble. He can't help you on that day. Because he will already be cast into hell when God appears to give us judgment. He will not be able and he will not be willing to help you. Satan won't want to help anyone. Why? Because Satan is already condemned. He will be in hell and he's going to take everyone he can with him. And there's a warning from scripture today to us. You see, unbelievers will be exposed to this judge who our text says judges impartially. That means... This judge is not influenced by appearance. He doesn't matter how good looking you are. He's not going to be swayed by how good looking you are. He's not swayed by your status. He doesn't care if you're a prime minister in a country. He's not swayed by your financial situation in life. He doesn't look at your bank account first and say, oh well, all those with a bank account over that amount, you guys can go in because you're obviously well looked after. No, he's not swayed by bank account. He's not swayed by good standing in the community. He's not swayed by strength of character. It doesn't matter whether you can overcome every single thing in this life because of your strength of character. 
Before God, you will be silent. He's not swayed by race, by nationality, by age. He is an impartial judge, says our text. And when you as an unbeliever appear before God, He will judge you, here's the word, He will judge you clinically against His holy standards. He's not going to feel sorry for you on that day. He's going to say to you, I'm a holy God, I hate sin. Your life is covered in sin. Go to the place prepared for you. There's not going to be a feeling sorry for anyone on that day. Then it's too late. You see, when we are judged against the perfect standards of His perfect holiness one day, if you're an unbeliever and there's the absence of Christ's atoning blood to cover your sin, you will be exposed before Him. And you will be cast away to that place of unending torment being prepared for you now. That's a fact. Please hear me today. But you know, we're not here to hear just the bad news because as believers here today, there is fantastic encouragement for us in this first verse we're looking at today, in verse 17. And it is in that word judge. That word judge contains our hope. Why? Because in the original language, that word doesn't mean a judge to find fault. The specific word that the Apostle Peter uses here for the word judge is the word God uses. He judges us to find the good in our lives. He judges us to find the good. You see, what Peter is saying here to believers is, he says, when you appear before him as judge, you will be appearing before him and you can appeal before him to your father first and then as the judge. Imagine the scene. God has just seen an unbeliever. He's just sent him to hell. And then you appear before him as a believer. And you notice your father's face. Suddenly his face changes from one who is stern. And he sees you. And his face lightens up. Why? Because you are one of his own. You are his child. And what father is going to see his child in front of him and keep that stern face? No. God is going to see you and he's going to see Christ's blood all over you and he's going to say, come into my presence, my child. That is a different judgment going to take place for believers. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say to you, my child, you are pardoned. Your sin is forgiven you. You go to your place that I have prepared for you for all these years. Go and come into the joy of your father and enjoy that place that I've prepared for you. We are going to be pardoned. You see, here's the secret. And it's not a secret. It's open for all the world to know. Listen to this. God's own love for us is our only protection against God's own judgment of us. Did you hear that? God's own love for you and I is our only protection against His judgment of us. God is holy, but He has made a way. And we are protected by the blood of Christ. His own love for us. You see, His love is equal to His justice. When we as believers appear before God, the whole tone will change in heaven. And suddenly we're going to be in a family court with our Father sitting there in front of us. And He's going to judge us by the motives of our hearts. Yes, we are going to appear before Him as believers. It is going to happen. But it's going to be a judgment where he looks at us and he says, Now, let's look at your life. 
Your sin has been forgiven, so don't worry about your sin, my child. I want to look at your life and see the motives of your heart. Why did you do what you did? Was it to glorify me? And God is going to look for that good in our lives. And that is what he's going to highlight to everyone. If he's got PowerPoint there, that's what he'll chuck up on PowerPoint. And he'll say, now look at this. This is what happened in my child's life. And look what it did. It gave me glory. That's the type of judgment we're going to be in as believers. Do you look forward to that day? I look forward to that day. Because I know my sin is forgiven me. And God is going to reward me. And he'll be rewarding you as a believer for what you've done for him here. For the glory you've brought to his name. Therefore, says the Apostle Peter, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. I love, I love that term, your stay on earth. It's like, we're only here for a little while and then we are gone. You got that? We're only here for a little while and God is going to be looking at our lives for that little while and then we're going to be gone and we're going to be forever with Him. So it's just a little while. You'll stay on earth. You see, what does this fear of God look like that we need to be living by? You see, this is not a a cringing fear of a slave before a master at all. This is the loving reverence and the awe that we as believers come to before our Heavenly Father. This is not a fear of judgment that we come in before Him, but a fear of disappointing our Father. Do you want to not to disappoint your Father? Well, live in fear, in awe of Him. So that you don't sin against His love for you. That's what a godly fear is all about. That is what reverence is all about. It's remembering who God is, what He's done, and I don't want to disappoint Him. I'm going to live my life for and to God. You see, godly fear doesn't downgrade disobedience before our God. It doesn't make light of sin before Him. It doesn't say, this is just a small sin. This is a big sin. No, Sin is sin before God. And if we give God reverence and awe, all sin will be the same to us as well. We will hate it in us when we see it. We will want to get rid of it in our lives because we do not want to disappoint our Father. That's what he's calling us to. Peter's saying to us here, keep a short account of sin before God. Remember who he is and live holy lives before him. The Apostle Paul wrote it like this. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. This is what Paul said, very much the same thought. He said, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Why must we do that? Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Same thought. Let's live holy lives before God because of who He is and what He's done. Fear the Lord. And then the Apostle Peter carries on with the second part of his pericope. You still got that word? Alright. He, he tells us now, how has this all been made possible? Yes, you to live holy lives before him, but how has God made all this possible? And then he spells it out in verses 18 to 21. He says, to sum it up, you were redeemed. That's why you can live holy lives and lives of all before God. You were redeemed. You see, it's possible to live God-fearing lives before Him. He's not calling us to an impossible standard. It's only possible because He's made it possible. 
Christ died so that we can live holy lives before God. David Brainerd, the famous missionary to the American Indians, proclaimed this truth through his ministry. This is what he said. Listen to this. So true. I never got away from Jesus and Him crucified in my preaching. I found that once these peoples, he's speaking about the, the American Indians, once these people were gripped by the great evangelical meaning of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, I did not have to give them any instructions about changing their behavior. You see, if Christ and Him crucified on your behalf, if you understand what He's done for you, and if you think about that in your life, your life will be changed. You won't have to think about it. It will be changed. The question is, is your daily behavior changing? Is my daily behavior changing? And the follow-up question to is, why is that? What is our motivation for change? Am I trying to change for the sake of change? Or am I changing because God is doing the change in me? There's a difference there, you see. In the first one, you're trying to change in your own strength. In the second one, you've got the strength of Almighty God doing that change in you. And the picture the Apostle Peter brings to us in this next section is the whole picture of being ransomed. It's the whole picture of a slave who's caught up and he's got a master. And he has to either work for his redemption or someone else has to pay the redemption price and then that slave will be released into freedom. So there's this picture of slavery. Peter says, You've been set free or declared free. The redemption price has been paid on your behalf. You have been ransomed. And immediately four questions come to mind. And I don't know to you, but four questions came to mind when I looked at this text. First question, if I've been ransomed, what have I been ransomed from? In other words, what's the problem? Verse 18 spells that out. So what is the problem? Let's look at the text. The apostle says, you were ransomed from, literally from out of, the futile or the vain or empty ways inherited from your forefathers. That's the problem. We've got an inheritance that is bad. We've inherited a state of slavery to sin. What has God done? He has ransomed us from that. He has delivered us out from the realm in which we once lived. If you're a believer here today, once you lived in the realm of darkness, you lived in the realm of sin, of hopelessness before God, of being anti-God. You lived, in other words, in Satan's realm. And what did God do? He ransomed you from that. Peter goes on to describe this way that you lived in. He said it was a futile way. You see, the ways that we used to live in lacked reverence for God. Just think of your own life. How many times did you use terms that made light of who God is? How many times did you live without even thinking of God? The God who gives you your daily bread, the God who gives you your daily breath in your body. How often did you go on just living, not even thinking about God? You see, we lacked regard for God and for His holy values before God redeemed us. Nothing we did before God was worthwhile. There were no spiritual results in us. We were empty before Him. 
You might have thought that you were going through a, a life and you were earning a major salary, you were getting everything that your heart desired, but inside and before God, you were empty. You were futile. And that, says the Apostle Peter, is what you inherited. These ways were handed down to you from your forefathers, says our text. Whether you like it or not, you've been given this inheritance. Where did we give it from? Well, from Adam. Adam is bearing a lot of guilt. He gave this to us when he disobeyed God. But we can't leave it with Adam. You see, we've all inherited this problem of sin. We are all alienated from God. We are all futile before Him. Peter says you've been freed from that. What are some of these things we've been freed from? Well, one would be, and I'm just going to use one, two examples here, worthless religious tradition. Why do you do what you do as a believer? Are you still perhaps holding on to religious traditions? Or are you doing what you're doing before God because it gives Him honor and praise and glory? The second old thing that we've inherited, our belief system. Why do you believe what you believe? Is it because it lines up with Scripture? Or is it because I believe it because that's what I've always believed? You see, that is still a remnant of what you were handed down from your forefathers. And the Apostle says, you've been freed from that. Why hold on to those things? Line up what you believe to Scripture, he says. You see, just because an idea is old doesn't mean it's correct. Antiquity is no guarantee of the correctness of your beliefs, is an old quotation. So make sure that what you believe is true to God's Word. Because otherwise you're holding on to those old traditions that have been handed down to you from your forefathers. But the Apostle says you were ransomed from a hopeless, helpless, godless and pitiful condition that you inherited and that you were bound up in. You couldn't get out of it yourself. You were bound up in it without the option of self-help or self-release. It was a futile condition. So that was what the problem was. Second question that comes to mind is, so what was I ransomed with? If God freed me, how did that happen? What was the means he used, in other words? And we come to that in verse 19. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in Scripture. Verse 19 says, there's a specific word order that he uses here. It says, but you were ransomed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the, the blood of Christ. You see, the Apostle Peter makes it clear here. You were ransomed, and he goes back in verse 18, you were ransomed not with something, but with something else. There's a, there's a double emphasis he puts on the text over here. And that means we must sit up and take notice. He's saying you weren't ransomed with this, but you were ransomed with this. There's a negative and a positive. What were we not ransomed with? He says in verse 18, you were not ransomed with perishable things like silver or gold. You see, when man pays anything off, how do we do it as people? We're bound to the material world, aren't we? We can only pay something off. We can only pay earthly ransom using earthly materials like gold, silver, nickel, paper, jewels, even human promises. Take, for example, the Somali pirates that we heard of 
recently in the news where they take over a whole ship and then demand a ransom. And once the ransom's paid, they will let the people go. Well, it's all bound to this earth. One day in heaven that can't happen. You see, the price that we've been freed with is a price set by God for the redemption of man's soul. It is a price far above anything that we could ever pay using earthly money or earthly material things. It's a supernatural price that's been set for our redemption. It needed the life of a perfect man, not a mere fallible and sinful creature, living a perfect life perfectly before God. Then God would free us. So who could do that? Only one man. The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, says Peter in verse 19, You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's referring here, of course, to the sacrificial lamb. And everyone reading this letter would have known, yes, when we were back in Egypt, guess what happened? God freed us. We had to slay that perfect lamb. We had to find one without spot. It had to be sacrificed in a very specific way. The blood had to be handled in a specific way. We had to come before God in a specific way, sacrifice the animal, and then our sins would be forgiven. But it was a picture pointing forward to Christ, the perfect Lamb, who would come 2,000 plus years later. And it's specific blood mentioned here, and it's kind of put right at the end of that verse, it is the blood of Christ. It's not just, it doesn't just happen to be there, it's specifically put there. You see, it's there for emphasis. Not any blood would do at all. Isaac Watts put it like this. He said, listen to this hymn. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. It doesn't matter how much blood there was, it couldn't wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away, every single one, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Anything that's come, come before, Christ has done it. So what are we ransomed with? We are ransomed with the precious blood of the only one who could measure up to God's 100% holy requirements. That is God himself in the form of his son. Have you ever thought of that? God redeemed you and I with God Himself. That was the only way it could, be, it could happen. His Son had to die. The third question that comes up is, ransomed by whom? And we've started looking at that already. By the person Himself. Verse 20 and 21 says, He was foreknown. Who's He speaking about here? Jesus Christ. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest or made clear in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. What do we learn here about our Lord Jesus Christ? Five things. Please take note of these five things about this Redeemer that the Apostle Peter is here speaking about. First thing, Jesus Christ was foreknown. There are people today that said God found himself in a spot of bother when man sinned. Because he had created this perfect world and then man came along and dropped the ball. And now God had to make another plan. People who say that. You see, God says in his word, God did not find himself in a pickle. 
He was not in a problem when man sinned. He knew what was going to happen. God did not have to quickly think up plan B because plan A had failed miserably. You see, God is all-knowing. He knew that man was going to sin and God planned. Our text says before the foundation of the world, that's before man was around, that his only son would free mankind from his bondage and spiritual death. You see, Christ was central to God's plan already before the foundation of the world. That's the first truth we learn about him. Second thing we learn here is our text says he was made manifest or made clear in the last times. You see, at a divinely predetermined date and time in human history, it's recorded in history. The, now listen to this and, and try and make sense of this in your own mind. At a predetermined time in human history, the all-powerful, the invincible Creator God made Himself visible. He made Himself humanly visible so that a fallible and a vapor-like human being could see Him. Have you ever thought of it? The all-powerful, invisible God made Himself visible for us little we human beings who can only see with human eyes. And then He didn't stop there. He emptied Himself of His own glory and the all-spirit God took on the only form that human beings could comprehend that is the form of a physical creature. And He didn't stop there. He then went and voluntarily laid down his life for you and I as a picture of what was to happen to us one day. That we had to lay down our lives, die and be raised up with him. You see, God came to this earth in the form of a human being to make things clear to us human beings. Because if he didn't, we would never be able to understand or see. He became clear. He became manifest in the last times. 1 Peter 3.18 says it like this. We already had it up there. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Christ was made manifest. He was made clear to you and I. Third thing we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, he is the only way to faith in God. I'm not making this up. It's in the text. Verse 21 says, You who through Him are believers in God. You see, Christ is the way to saving faith in God. I've said this verse nearly every sermon already. John 14 verse 6, I am the, the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. You see, since redemption is through Christ alone, there is no other way to God. There is an exclusivity about Christianity. And yes, we've been, people have said, how dare you Christians say you are the only way to God? There are many ways to God. No, this is an exclusive religion. There is only one way to God. Yes, we're guilty of that. But it's not us. God has said so. He said, I am the way to, to me. How can you then think there's another way? You see, people cannot be believers in God apart from acknowledging His death, resurrection and sovereign Lordship of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to, to the Father. But you know, the text doesn't stop there. It says, um, verse, nine, uh, verse 20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, 
who through him are believers in God. There's another aspect there. It's not just God is the only way to the Father, but he is the power as well behind all this. Because without God working in us, without the, the Son doing what he did for us on the cross, without the Holy Spirit changing us, there is no way we can come to the Father either. He is the power to believe the gospel. You cannot believe on your own. See, because before God saved us, we were blind. We were helpless creatures. But God put divine power into us, opened our eyes, brought us from death to life. He did it. He is the power. He reveals the Father to us and then brings reconciliation. The fourth thing we learn about Jesus, our Redeemer, is, and this is the exciting one too, He was raised from the dead. Literally, He was raised out from among the dead. He was dead. But He was raised from among the dead on the third day. You see, Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of our faith. If Jesus did not rise up from the dead, we would be going through a worthless religious exercise here today. We would be like any of the other religions. But our Savior rose up on the third day. That is the foundation of our faith. And in that we have faith. In that we have assurance. Without the resurrection, no faith, no assurance in this life today. It is center. And there are people today who are attacking this. They're saying this was just a picture for people. He didn't really rise from the dead. It was a picture given to early believers so that they would take courage and carry on the work that Christ said they must do. It is now being attacked in 2010. You go and read the religious attacks that are happening against Christianity on the internet, you will see it there. Christ didn't rise from the dead, they say. It is core to our faith. He did. He rose on the third day. Our faith is based on that fact. And then fifthly, he was glorified. And in that fact, we take hope for the future, you see, because when Christ ascended and he was exalted to the right end of the Father, again, he was giving us a picture of what's going to happen to us one day. When we leave this mortal coil, as Shakespeare said, we will be leaving this body and being immediately with the Father and we will be with him. And we will be made to be like Jesus Christ. That is the hope that we have. Why? Because Christ rose from the dead. He is now glorified and seated at the Father's right hand. He's already gone before us. He's shown us the way. And he's saying, now follow me. I've shown you the way. I've done it. You will come behind me. Follow in my footsteps. He was glorified. Without him being glorified, we would have no hope for our future. Romans 8 verse 30 says this, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, here it's coming, this is what's going to happen to you, he also glorified. That's God's word. We believe it. Fourth question and the last question is, Ransom for what? What was the purpose of all this? Verse 20 and 21 tells us this. It says, He was made manifest. Listen to this exciting bit of news. He was made manifest for your sake so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, Peter has reminded us in this passage that our faith and hope are not in anything that we've done or achieved. We've said that so many times. But our faith and our hope is based fully 
on what Christ has done. If you are sitting here as a believer and you think that there's anything that you have done to believe, then my friend, maybe you are not a believer. Don't be deceived. It's either all of Christ or nothing. That's what God's Word says. He did it all. You see, our faith is based on Christ's offering of Himself in our place. Christ is sufficient for that. You don't need anything else except Christ. You don't need Christ and anything else. Christ only has done it. And so we have faith in God, says our text. You see, our faith, and that is talking about our daily, day-by-day faith, because it's in God, we can hold on to God and we know that He's going to take us through our present circumstances. Our faith is in Him. And as we go through struggles and anxieties, we know that our faith cannot be shaken because it is in God. And that means that we've got a future faith too. Because God's not going to die. He's going to carry on. He's the unchangeable God. And if our faith is in Him, the moment you die, you're with Him. You've got a future hope. You see, faith is a hope put into action for today. Hope is a faith put into action for tomorrow. Do you get the difference there? They both revolve around being in God. What application is there for us for today? John 1 verse 29 says the following. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a momentous day that must have been when those words were shouted from his mouth to those unbelieving people. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that same message comes to you and I this morning. Whether you're a believer here today or an unbeliever here today, behold the Lamb, Jesus Christ, has been shown to you this morning. The one who died in your place. He calls you to three things from this text this morning. Firstly, He calls you to obedience and awe before Him. He says, live a God-fearing life. Live the life of an obedient child before your loving Father, your Abba Father. Live with this constant awareness before Him that I don't want to disappoint and displease God because look what He did for me. I want to love my Father and please Him. Living awe of Him as your judge. Second thing Peter calls us here is to, is to encouragement. He says, be encouraged. The price has already been paid. It's all been done. The foreknown and the all-powerful Christ has emptied Himself of all His glory and He's become a man for your sake because He loves you. He's paid the price for your redemption. He's freed you from that helpless state that you were in. And now when you stand before Him in judgment, it will be a judgment to see the good in, in you. That done for His glory. He's forgiven you. And He hasn't just left you at that. He sent you God Himself in the form of the Holy Spirit to live with you day by day, to guide you through this life into the next. And He will make you more like Himself. You see, we can take courage from this Word. Listen to this last sentence here. This is either going to comfort you or bring severe discomfort to you. This life, with all its troubles, is the closest the believer will come to hell. And this life, with all its joys, is the closest the unbeliever will come to heaven. Think about that. 
Are there going to be any joys for the unbeliever one day? No. So any joys they're experiencing now, they better enjoy them. There is going to be nothing else. And you as a believer, and I, as we go through hard times, you might think it's hell on earth for you. But it's the closest you will come to Him. You're going to experience heaven when you're finished with this little time on earth. There's our comfort. You see, take courage, says the Apostle Peter. You are deeply loved and precious to Him. He has paid a great price for you. He gave you His only Son. And then lastly, the Apostle calls us to security in God. He says, stand firm in God's Grace, Christ himself has become the way to the Father for you if you're a believer here today. And he's also become the power who will ensure that he brings you to his Father in one piece and like a son. He is the power who will bring you to the Father. So stand firm in that grace. You are secure in him. Don't believe Satan when he throws his lies across your way to say, You're going through all this hard time. God has forgotten all about you. He doesn't care about you. No. Stand secure in God's grace. He started the work in you. He will complete it and bring you before His Father. It is all of Christ. He is sufficient. He is God's eternal provision for you and I. You see, as God's Word promises us, Jesus Himself will keep you from stumbling Jesus himself will one day present you blameless before your Father. You won't have any blame before your Father. You will be presented blameless because God will see Christ's blood on you. And Jesus will present you in God's presence, in the presence of his glory with great joy. When you stand before your Father one day, you are going to cry. My Father. Abba, Father. And that stern look on your Father's face is going to turn to one of pure love as He sees you. So, is this life worthwhile now? Live this life in the power that He gives you. Why? Because the price has been paid. It is possible. But live a life that has got your God in front of you. This Father, who you do not want to disappoint. So next time you come to face decisions in your life, think, is this going to disappoint my father? Is this going to bring him glory or make my life easier? And do what brings him glory first. Honor him first. You are precious to him. He's died for you. Let's pray. Lord, our heavenly Father, even as we come now to remembering what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for this reminder from your word that the price has been paid in full. Jesus Christ paid the price so that you and I can be ransomed. Lord, thank you for that thought. Thank you for the thought that God Almighty, the All-Spirit God, somehow took the form of a human being, made himself nothing, and then came and put himself at the mercy of human beings who put him on a cross, allowed him to suffer that pain and that torture, and then he died on that cross. 
But Lord, thank you that the story didn't end there. Thank you that our precious Lord Jesus Christ, the all-powerful God, came alive again on the third day. And while the rest of the body stayed behind in the earth, he rose up from the grave and he came back to this earth. He met up with people. He said, now I have risen. Now go into all the world and make disciples. Follow me. Use me as your example and I will be with you forever. I'm going to send God to be with you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and He is going to live in you until I take you to be with me in heaven and put you before my Father. It is all of me, said Jesus. Lord, help us to live victorious Christian lives before you and not to fall over when the first bits of opposition come up against us. Help us to live victorious lives that are holy before you so that you will be glorified and magnified in the eyes of the world around us. But more importantly, in your eyes, we pray. To you be the glory. Amen.